Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. There are those who say that this is ordinary, but don't let that fool you. Mother will always be the bravest, least ordinary, most difficult, utterly challenging career that anyone ever hopes to lay claim to. While others might hear, diaper changer, food maker, laundry doer, carpooler, bottle washer, sweatpants wearer, life on hold, want to be doing anything else, woman. The truth is, whether it feels like it some days or not, you are in fact a shelter from the storm. You are a cape of good hope. You are a warrior who will do battle for your children's hearts, souls, attention, innocence, education, and memories. Go to battle, my friends. This is your time. We will hold strong on either side of you. We will pray for those bottles through the dark watches of the night. And when doubt comes and children break, when adults fail them, and when they push and push as hard against us as the day we deliver them into this world, we will not be broken. We may ache and see cracks tear through our hearts. But we will get up again tomorrow and we will load the clothes and the words that need to be said again and again and again. And when the world tries to claw at them, to break them, to smash the beauty in them, may our walls hold true. May the lessons we've told the truths we've lived, the life we've spoken into them come back easily, predictably, with wash and repeat ease. Kingdom business, Jesus' work, this shaping of souls, this raising tiny humans. There are those that say this is ordinary. Don't buy it for a second. Mighty You are mighty because you, Mother.
We have a room this morning filled with mighty warriors. You ladies are awesome. You are incredible mothers, and we honor you today. And thank you, thank you so much for being here. All of our guests and friends, mothers who've come to visit today to be with your kids, uh, thank you, thank you for coming today. Kids that came to be with your mom, thank you for being here as well. Good to have our kids in the house today as well. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. You guys look great this morning. Ladies, you ever been in a restaurant or a grocery store and you see somebody with their kids and their kids are clearly out of control? And, and, and they're making a scene at the restaurant. They're getting up and down from the table. They're spilling their food. They're yelling and screaming real loud. They're bothering everybody else in the entire restaurant. And you, uh, or you see them in the grocery store and they're running up and down the aisles. There's no one with them. No one watching them. And they're just simply out of control. And, and you just think to yourself, if I could just have that kid for a few hours, I would straighten him out. You ever felt like that? You see somebody's kids. If I could just, and, and, and we're, <clears throat> the deal is, we're good at playing armchair quarterback. Now, for you women that don't know what that means, it's the, it's the guy who sits and watch football, and he second guesses every decision the quarterback makes. And so what we're good at is we play armchair mom, and we think they're doing a bad job, and they're really messing up. And if I could just have that kid for one hour, I could really help. And so you want to walk up and say, ma'am, can I help you with your child? Sometimes that's going through our heads and going through our mind and all those thoughts are happening. I will tell you though, being a mother is the most challenging and rewarding job on the face of the earth. You guys are incredible. And we're honoring those mothers today who cook for us, who turned our house into a home, who mended all of our wounds, who consoled us when we faced major disappointments in life, who cheered us on when we did well, and perhaps the greatest uh, contribution of all, they instructed us all about life and told us what life is all about. And so we honor our moms today. Being a mother is not easy. It's warfare at times. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes just seeking God. Sometimes it's pressing in. But it can be very, very rewarding. There's an article that said by the time a child reaches 18, a mother has had to handle some extra 18,000 hours of child-generated work. In fact, women who never had children enjoy the equivalent of three extra months a year in leisure time. <laughs> so you ladies who haven't had kids, you've had a lot more leisure time than all the rest of the ladies in the house today. It takes work to be a mother. It's a job. It takes work and dedication, and you guys do an awesome, awesome job. A father had his four-year-old daughter and was showing her all the wedding pictures of their, their wedding several years earlier and uh, was, was showing the wedding party and all these kind of things and pointing out who each person was and said, and said that's your mommy right there and pointed to the, the mother in the picture and the little girl said, Daddy, is that when mommy came to work for us? <laughs> Takes work to be a good mother. Now today we've been honoring mothers and talking about mothers and, and uh about a very, very special day today, but it also can be a very difficult day for many. It can be a challenging day. Uh, we have ladies in the house who wanted to be a mother, and for some reason or not, they could not. They could not have children, and so every time Mother's Day rolls around, it reinforces the pain that I didn't have any kids of my own. Uh, maybe you didn't have the ideal mother growing up. Maybe some of you came from a family that was dysfunctional. 
and your mom was an alcoholic or she abused you or she left you very early in life. And so when you think about Mother's Day, kind of pain comes into your brain and you're thinking, or maybe your mom's not here today because she recently passed away. And so you're coming upon this very first Mother's Day and mom's not here and there's nobody to go by and see and nobody to talk to and it's just not quite the same and there's no gift to buy because mom's not here. There are other mothers here, you lost a child. And so somewhere along the line, I think the pain of a child, when you lose a child before you pass on, it can be maybe some of the hardest pain to experience and go through. And so that you're dealing with that today and all those emotions are coming up. There are many mothers who are feeling right now the pain of a prodigal son or daughter that your kid has left the house and they're not serving God. And when you think about raising those kids and loving them and yet they're so far out there, they've gone into that far country, they're not serving the Lord. And for you, that brings a certain amount of heartache today because they're not all in the family of God. And then in this house this morning, I will tell you, we have a host of single mothers. And you're here and you're, you're raising child and you're the sole provider and you've got to provide all the income and you've got to take care of them and there's no one to relieve you. There's no one to step in and help you with that load and with that burden and you've got those children 24-7 and, and you're doing the best you can, but it wears you out and it's very, very, very difficult on our single mothers. And there may be even a few here today who had an abortion. And you're thinking, I wonder today if I hadn't had that abortion, how old my son or daughter might be today and what it'd be like to have them with me by my side in this service this morning. And and to you, our prayers go out. And we extend comfort and we extend grace. And I'm so thankful God is a God of all grace and he brings strength and he brings support and he brings comfort. And so while this is a great day of rejoicing for many, many mothers, it can also be a very painful day as well. Today we're going to look at a story of a lady by the name of Hannah. And Hannah, you kind of see the both worlds going on in her life. You see the traumatic, the drama of barrenness and how she was barren and how she cried out to God and how she wept and how she prayed and how painful that was for her living in a house with another lady who had all kinds of kids running all around but she had none of her own and how painful and hard that was and yet you're going to see how she is going to press through the blessing and how God's going to answer her prayers and give her a marvelous miracle and Hannah's going to become to us a picture this morning of what I think an ideal mother can look like and can be and I'm going to give you four things this morning so let's stand together we're going to look at what an ideal mother might look like and we're going to look at the example from Hannah, who, who really saw it from both ends of the spectrum, from the pain and the heartache, but then also the bountiful blessing at the end. And I'm going to start with verse number three. It says, year after year, this man went up to his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day would come for Elkanah, to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Peniah, and to all her sons and daughters. So she's a one wife, wife number one, has all kinds of kids, boys and girls. What a merry family. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? You talk about a compassionate husband right there. Look at verse 17. 
Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. She, then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early in the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to the home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife, Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived, gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your presence here today. We thank you for every mother, every person in the house, but especially our mothers today. And we pray, God, that if there are those who need comfort, that the God of all comfort would speak to their hearts today, that you would encourage all the ladies, all the mothers, how to do and be what you want us to be in raising our kids. It's tough business, and we admit freely, God, we need your help. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great, and then you may be seated. There's four observations I want to point out about this remarkable lady by the name of Hannah. And she's, she's going to be an incredible example for every mother that is here today. And the first thing you see about Hannah is she is a loving wife. She loved her husband. She loved Elkanah, and she loved him very, very much. And she was probably, first and foremost, a picture of what a wife should be and what a wife should look like. That's exactly who Hannah was. She was a loving wife. Now, Elkanah had two wives. I, don't, I, I would not want to do that. I'm telling you, guy, in all the men who have a wife can say amen. What, one's enough. One's a handful. And to have two wives would be really a challenge, and so he's got two, and uh, the one wife, I read the story earlier, she's got all kinds of kids, and, uh, and, and the fact that she had so many children, it just amplifies Hannah's barrenness, and so all the kids are running around the house, and it's like a nursery in there, but none are her own, and to make it worse, that other wife taunts her and kind of makes fun of her and says, you know, you can't have kids, you're not really a woman, and I'm a woman, and look at all the kids I had. And, and, and it's funny, Elkanah tries to sympathize with his wife. She sees her weeping. Now, notice a couple things. First of all, he gives her a double portion. And the Bible gives us two reasons why he gave her a double portion. Number one, it says he loved her. He loved her, and he probably loved her twice as much as the other lady, Paniah. And so he gives her a double portion. And number two, it says because she was barren. And so maybe in some way he felt he was making up for her lack of having children. So I'll give her twice as much to eat, twice as much food, twice as much blessing. I'll honor her doubly. But he, you can just get the sense that he really, really loved his wife, and he cared about her. But look at his compassion in verse number eight. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I mean, you got me. You got the real prize. I'm your husband. It's really all that matters. But I will tell you that probably was not very comforting. To receive that kind of treatment, Hannah had to have been a good wife, a godly wife, a wonderful wife. Men, men, listen to me. Ladies, when you love your husbands and you give yourself for them, they, they, in most cases, they will love you back. And you get this sense that, that Hannah knew how to show love and how to treat her husband and how to treat her man and kind, compassionate, considerate. All those things are kind of in the underlying story behind this. Proverbs tells us something. It gives us a little hint. Ladies, I want to give you a hint today. And it's in Proverbs 21, verse 9 and Proverbs 21, 19. There are two verses that are almost identical. Listen to them. 
And ladies, this is going to help you today. It says, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-one nineteen: better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Now, now, now the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, Solomon cites two locations where it's better for men to live than in a home with a quarrelsome, cantankerous, contentious, angry, mean, bitter wife. Two places. One is on the corner of the roof. How does that translate today? It translates to the, to the garage, to their man cave, to their easy chair in front of the TV set where it's the no conversation zone. When I'm in this chair, no one talks to me, no one says anything. And so, so that becomes our contemporary corner of the house today. It's the garage, it's outside, it's away because a man will do anything he can to get away from a contentious wife. And then the second verse, he says, the second location is in a desert. And so if the wife does, if the husband does not want to come home, if he stays out late at night with the guys, if he's always running around, if he's never at home, if he goes out a lot, if he makes excuses for why he can't be there. Now, listen to me, ladies, I want to help you here. It doesn't imply that if your husband is on the corner of the roof or out in the desert uh, that you are a lousy wife. It may mean you just have an inconsiderate, bullish, mean husband. And there are some angry men out there, and they're not fun to be around, and so they just stay gone. And they're away from you, and their attention's going all over the place, and, and they don't properly love you. But, but it also is worth a soul check. And so ladies, if... The husband never wants to be around you and never wants to be home. It's also a time of self-examination and say, you know, am I doing all I can to make my home a home of peace, a home where he will love to be, a home where he wants to spend time with me, a home where we can be together, a home where, where, where all this can happen. I know for myself, the highlight of every day is when I drive in that driveway and I push that garage door button and the garage door goes up, and I got this beautiful woman on the other side of the garage door waiting for me to walk out of my car and greet me with a big, big kiss. I can't wait to be at home. Can't wait to spend time with her. Can't wait to be with my best friend and the love of my life. Why? Because she creates an atmosphere in our home that I would call an atmosphere of peace. The writer of Proverbs says, listen, if, you're, if a, you have a contentious wife, an ill-tempered wife, a mean woman, that man will go anywhere else to avoid being around you. You get the idea that Hannah was a loving, caring, peace-filled lady, even when is a little rambunctious, even when she's making fun of her, you see no retort, no retaliation from Hannah. She simply takes it to the Lord in prayer. She goes to God. She waits on her husband. She loves her husband, takes care of her husband. And so Hannah, you see, is a model of a godly, godly wife. Now listen to me. Here's what I want to get to. A strong marriage is the best thing you can do to raise godly children. Bar none. I mean, I mean, I'm going to give you three more pointers here. But if you want to raise godly, God-fearing, wonderful, well-behaved children, the number one thing you've got to have in your home is a very, very strong marriage. Without that, it is a very, very hard challenge. Malachi in chapter 3 says God hates divorce 
it's interesting why he says in Malachi, God hates divorce. It's not because uh, the unity factor, and that's all a part of it, but he says God hates divorce because divorce makes it harder for you to raise kids. And your chances of raising godly offspring, he says in Malachi chapter three, or chapter two, excuse me, goes up dramatically when the husband and wife are committed to stay together and have a loving, peaceful home and marriage. Best thing you do for your kids in raising children. When kids see loving parents, it gives them security and it gives them joy. They feel at home, they feel secure, they have that environment. And so Malachi says stay together for the kids. Just something to think about. Number two, Hannah was a faithful worshiper. She is a faithful worshiper. In verse number three, it says year after year she would go to the temple of the Lord. It says it again in verse number seven. Year after year she would go to the temple of the Lord. And then in verse number 21, it says, and at the annual time of going up to the temple, she went up to the house of the Lord again. She was going to the church. She was going to temple year after year. And it tells us why she went to the temple to worship the Lord. Now listen to me. I want to encourage you. You want to raise godly kids and godly children? Be in church and keep your kids in church. What a joy to have our boys and girls in the house with us today, sitting next to moms and dads and their grandparents. It's awesome. Bring your kids to church, and you be at church, and you come. Don't just come when it's convenient. Sometimes if it's, I don't come to church because it's too hot outside, and then I won't come to church because it's too cold, and then there's a little mist in the air, and it might rain today. I'll stay out of church today. And we have excuse after excuse of why we cannot be in church on Sunday morning. I want to tell you, Hannah went Year after year after year, at the time of prayer to seek the Lord, she was a lady who worshiped God. She went to worship. When she went into church, she went with an expectancy. She went to the temple expecting God to do something and God to answer her prayer, and she prayed earnestly, and the Bible says she trusted in the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you something. I am so thankful for my mom. I had an extreme, amazing privilege to be raised in a Christian home. All of you didn't have that privilege today. Some of you did. But my mom was a godly woman, and she made sure we were in church every single Sunday morning. We're on vacation. We're going to find a church somewhere to go to. There was no weeks off. We would go 52 weeks a year and never miss one Sunday of church. We had, in the old days, when I was young, they would have revival at the church. It would go five weeks long. They would go not just Sunday through Wednesday. It was Sunday through Friday. Now, you'd think Saturday night would be a night to stay home and play. No, no, no. Saturday night's prayer meeting night, and so we would go on Saturday night to pray for revival the next week. We were in church 35 straight days and never missed one day of church and revival and all that. My mom and dad believed in keeping their kids in church. There was no children's church. We sat on the front row, and if we fidgeted a little bit, she'd reach up and twist my ear like this and, or pinch my knee, and uh, we got it from mom. But she raised us up in the house of the Lord. Listen, fathers, mothers, mothers especially, get your kids to church every single Sunday. Do not miss. It was in church I was saved. It was in church I was baptized in water. It was in church I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It was in church I I was called to be a pastor at age 16 years of age. God called me into ministry. I felt that divine hand upon me. It's in church that spiritual formation takes place. Keep your kids in church. 
Now, Hannah had an agenda for going to church. Her agenda was to worship the Lord. It wasn't to be seen. In fact, she didn't care who was looking. She would pray so earnestly, her lips would move, her mouth would move, nothing was coming out. Everybody's watching her crying and weeping and travailing and interceding before God, and she doesn't care what other people think. She's there to meet with God. When you come to church, you come to meet with God, to know the Lord, to worship him, to set your eyes upon him, to focus on Jesus. That's, that's why we're here, to worship the Lord. She worshiped, and notice this too. She worshiped the Lord in verse 7 verse, and verse 20 and 13, 14. She worshiped the Lord. It talks about her going in, and then her whole intercession is from verses 17 to about 23. We'll read that in a minute. But she worshiped the Lord when she was barren, and she worshiped the Lord after she had Samuel. Listen, we worship the Lord whether we're barren or in blessing or in plenty or bounty. We're, we're worship the Lord when we're going through tough times. We worship the Lord when we're going through good times. We worship the Lord in the morning, evening, morning, noon, and night. Worship the Lord. She was a worshiper. What a legacy to leave her son. Listen to her worship. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord of my horn, he has lifted me high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. What a worshiper. I want to challenge your mothers, be a worshiper, be a model of worshiping God and worship the Lord, worship the Lord. Number three, she was a prayer warrior. I, I just an amazing intercessor, an amazing prayer warrior. Let me pick up the story. I didn't have time to read it all at the beginning, but let me read it now. Verse nine, it says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair in the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I'm pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of great anguish and grief. Eli answered, listen to this, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And Hannah faces an impossibility. I mean, she's been trying to have kids for years, and nothing ever happens, and nothing ever changes. But what does she do when there's an impossibility? She turns to the Lord, and she cries out to God, and she weeps and breaks, and, and you see this agonizing prayer. She's praying in faith, believing. She prays continually. She prays nonstop. She keeps on praying and seeking God. Now, let me tell you something. For Hebrew women, barrenness was a disgrace. Not only did you not have the joy of having kids around, but you were a disgrace among all the other ladies because you were not a full woman if you could not bear children. You're not, you were not fulfilling in their mind your God-given 
task and responsibility of raising children or being fruitful, multiplying. There was something wrong with you. God was punishing you. There's a reason you're barren. And all those thoughts are going through their minds. To make matter worse was rival wife number one, who was mocking her and making fun of her all along the way. Hannah was a lady of prayer. She sought God and she prayed earnestly. Listen, I want to tell you something. Pray for your children. Be a lady of prayer. Let your kids see you praying. Pray for your family. Pray for your husband. Pray morning, noon, or night. Agonize in prayer. Seek the Lord. Pray for your children. Pray a protective hedge about your sons and your daughters. Pray cover them in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an old Pentecostal term. We just plead the blood of Jesus on every one of our children. We pray for our kids. When you see your teen slipping away and you get frustrated and you don't know what to do and where to turn and what's going on, I will tell you, there is power in your prayers. Don't stop praying. Listen to James. James chapter 5, verse number 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed. And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. Listen, you can pray for your family and God will open up the windows of heaven and he will bless your family and he will bless your children. He'll bless your marriage. He'll bless your husband. He'll bless your finances. Uh, but you got to pray. And he prayed and he prayed again and he prayed earnestly. And what did God do? He opened up the windows of heaven. Be a woman of prayer. It may not happen that night. You may not get on your knees and say, Pastor, I'm going to try this. I'm going to pray. I've tried everything else. I don't know what else to do. I'm pulling my hair out. You may get on your knees and pray for Johnny, and Johnny may be meaner than a snake that night and the next day. It may get worse before it gets better. But we don't often see how God's moving in the background. We can't see in the unseen spiritual dimension of life, and God is always working, and he hears our prayers even when we don't see the immediate results right away. Keep on praying. Don't stop. Don't give up. Year after year, Hannah prayed. Year after year, Hannah prayed. Be a mother and a lady of prayer. How do you pray for your children? I want you to turn to John 17. I want to show you something there that just discovered this, and I want you to see it. How do I pray for my sons and my daughters? And you might want to jot these points down at the bottom real quick. Scribble them down on your notes. You need to get this, ladies, if you want to learn how to pray for your kids. Look at John 17 and verse number 9. I won't, I, the whole chapter is about the Lord's prayer, God's prayer to his father before he's getting ready to be taken away. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, they are yours. Now, Jesus makes a declaration in his prayer. He says, I am praying specifically right now, not for the whole world. I mean, whole world prayers are good. He says, I'm praying for the ones that you have given me. 
I'm praying for the ones that are under my care and under my protection. Specifically in Jesus' case, he is praying for his 12 disciples. He's praying for the other disciples, his other followers. He's praying for those other ladies who followed him around. He is praying for all of his disciples. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you have given me. This is my responsibility. Moms, you can say those very, very same words. Right now, God, I am praying for my kids. I'm calling them out by name. I am praying for those that you have given to me. Okay, you got that? Now, let's look at the essence of his prayer. And I can't read all these verses. I'm just going to go through it very quickly. Number one, verse number three says, I pray that they might know Christ. Pray that they might know the Lord. Pray that they might know him intimately. Pray that they might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that they might be saved. Number two, he says in verse 11, I pray that you would keep them from the world. That's a good thing to pray for your kids. God, keep them from the world. Keep them from falling away. Keep them from the evil one, he says in verse number 17. Keep them away from Satan. Keep them from being destroyed. Keep them from this world. So how do I pray? I pray that they would come to know Christ intimately. Number two, I pray that they would be kept from this world. Number three, I pray that they might possess the full joy of the Lord. Verse number 13 in Jesus' prayer. God, that they might know the fullness of your joy. They know, oh, wow. Number four, pray that they might be holy in thought, character, and deed. Verse number 17 of John 17. They might be holy in thought, character, and deed. Verse 5, uh, verse number 11 and 21 and 22, he says, I pray that they might be one as we are one. And so pray that your kids might be one in purpose and in fellowship. Number 6, pray that verse 22 and 23 says, I pray that, that they would lead others to Christ. Pray that your kids and your sons and daughters would be soul winners. Soul winners. Number seven, pray that they might persevere in the faith. Verse number 24. Uh, Let me read it to you. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. God, pray that they will persevere and continue, that we might be together again. And number eight, pray that they might constantly live in God's Love and in God's presence. And that's found in verse 26. Wow. Those eight things. Remember those eight things when you pray for your kids. It's just a prayer list right there. And pray over each one of those things and pray that for your own sons and your own daughter. You have a powerful privilege and weapon of praying for your kids. And what happens is as your kids watch you praying, they will become men and women of prayer themselves one day. Isn't that exciting? I, uh, I already talked about my mother. She's a, she was an incredible mother, and, and she prayed for me. And there were many, I remember as a boy, many times I just walk in the room in the middle of the day or at night or sometime. I just, you know, kids, they, they, don't, they just walk through doors. They don't knock, and it's our house. And, and I, would, I would walk in the room, and I'd see mom at her chair in her bedroom. There was a place she had. It was an old blue chair. And she would kneel right there, and I'd see her kneeling and praying and crying. And then I'd just kind of slowly back out. I knew that was mom's prayer time, not to bother her then. And it could be any, any time of the day. I remember when I was getting older, I wanted to kind of spread my wings and do my own thing. And so I, I, I was about 17 years of age, and uh, I wanted to go to this party. 
And, uh, you know, it, it was going to be a high school party, and uh, I didn't go to a Christian school, didn't have that privilege, and so I went to, uh, and, and my friends all at school, they all drunk, and they all did dr- drank, and they, that's good English, and they all did drugs, and uh, it was going to be a wild party, but I hated staying home alone on Friday nights, and I just got tired of that, and they'd all be partying, and I'd be at home, unless there was something going on with the youth group, I'd be at home on a Friday night, and I, that was always a drag, and so I, one night I said, Mom, I want to go to this party, everybody's going, all my buddies are going, and, uh, and, and all the way up till that time, I'd been asking for years, and she said, no, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going to go there, you're not. but for some reason, she looked at me and said, okay. You can go to that party. Yeah, go to that party with your friends. Just go. Go to the party. And, uh, but I'm going to tell you this. And she looked me right in the eyes, pointed her little long finger at me, and said, I'm going to pray that the entire time you're there, you will have a miserable time. <laughs> you know what? I didn't go to the party. I said, why go? I mean, God hears mom's prayers, and I will be miserable the whole time I'm there. Why even go? And so I just said, you know what? I'll stay at home tonight again, mom. So... Thank you very much for praying for me that way. Pray for your kids. Power, power, power in your prayers. Hannah was a praying mother. Number four, Hannah dedicated her her son to God. I want to challenge everyone to give your kids to God. Give your kids to God. Give them back to God. He's bigger than you are. He can handle your kids. Look at verse 22 uh, back at our text. Verse 22, it says, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Jump down to verse number 28. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, the name Samuel, the Bible tells us what the name means. It means because I asked from the Lord. El is that uh, Elohim, it's the prefix for Lord, and, and Samuel, because I ask of the Lord. I want to tell you, every child is a precious gift of the Lord. Every child, I don't care how, under what circumstances the birth occurs, how it happens, how it takes place, what, the, what led up to that. Every child is a gift of the Lord. And and can you imagine how hard it would have been? She has been praying year after year. She's been barren, no kids, and now she finally has a little boy, and then she's got to give him away. I mean, that what she waited her whole life for, to raise a kid, to have a kid around the house, running around the house, playing ball, doing all that stuff, and, and, and have your son there and be with you all the time. And she prayed so fervently. But Hannah wants to give her very best back to God. And she saw what God did for her in opening up her womb as an amazing gift from God. She realized that ultimately Samuel was God's to begin with. Samuel wasn't even her own. It was never her own. Her child was always God's. Her child always belonged to God. And so she says, I'm going to give him back to be used by God. I think sometimes the hardest thing to do is to let go of our kids. It's hard for mothers especially. They, they, they hang on so tightly. I, I remember when we, my firstborn went to Bible school in Springfield, Missouri, and he was Chad, and we, we, we took him, we drove all the way there, and we dropped him off at college, and uh, 
And I'll never forget when we were getting ready to drive off. You know, and of course, he couldn't wait for us to leave. He wanted to meet friends. He wanted to run around college. He's like, Dad, I got this. Go on. Get out of here. You know, we, I'm, I'm fine. Go home. Get out of here. Couldn't wait for us to leave, that, leave him at college and drive off. And I remember when, when uh, my wife looked back and saw this little 17-year-old waving his hand at us, bye, Mom, bye, Dad, she started crying. And she cried and she cried and she wept and she wept. And you ladies know what I'm talking about. Y'all did it, so don't look at it. I was like, and, and I saw her crying. I started crying. And I'm not a big crybaby, but I blubbered. We cried for the next 150 miles. I mean, we just, we did nothing but sobbing. Boy, you know, we got my kids in college. What? You know, we're not going to make it. And we cried and we bawled because it's, it's hard to let go. Remember when uh, my daughter got married? And uh, she was the youngest and our only daughter, and we got married, and we got married downtown. Some of you were there. It's been, been a while now, and, and she rode off in a carriage in downtown. And, and I looked over at Tanya, and she's just bawling again, tears running out of her eyes, and I'm kind of rejoicing. Yes, the house is empty, party time, fun time, all that kind of stuff. And she's just bawling and crying and weeping, and of course, all you mothers remember the very first time your kid got on a school bus. Remember that first day at kindergarten and the big, big old yellow bus pulls up and you see this little bitty tiny kid with a little bitty backpack on his shoulders and he's going up those steps. What, what are the ladies doing? You're crying. You're weeping. You're bawling because it is so, so hard to let them go. And then, and then when they're teenagers and they get their driver's license and the first time you hand them the car keys to go out on a date or to run around or see their friends and you give them the keys and, and, and terror, this is not so much tears of sadness, it just kind of terror grips you and I'm, I'm turning the wheel of this powerful vehicle over to a 16-year-old who's a knucklehead and, uh, and we're giving them the keys and let me tell you, those are going to be hard moments. Those are natural transitions of life, and there's all kinds of emotions that flutter our hearts when we're going through this. But I want to tell you, learn to give your kids over to God because you can't watch them every moment of the day. You can't be with them the rest of their life. You can't hold them too close. There's going to come that time when they marry and go to school, and they're out of your sight and out of your presence. But if you've first given your child to God... You can trust God because God is bigger and stronger than we are. And he's able to keep our kids in the palm of his hands and let nothing happen to them. He will guard over them. He will protect them. He will be with them. Release them to the Lord. How do I do that? You release them in prayer. And you say, Lord, I give you my child. I give you my daughter. I give you my son. You call them by name. Every one of these kids, they are yours. I give them back to you. You take them, you cover them, you protect them, you be with them. I, uh, we dedicated our three kids to the Lord. I had no idea that my youngest would be called to go to the mission field to Nepal. And, and when she left for the mission field on the other side of the world, you know, the tears were all over again. And every time she'd come home and every time she'd get back on the plane, Tanya would be bawling and squalling and crying and weeping. And it was all over again. And she'd be depressed for a day or two. But, but you know what? When we prayed for her when she was a baby, we gave her to God and said, God, if you wanted to preach this gospel, wherever it be, in any part of this world, and in Nepal is like the farthest place you can be from South Carolina. It's the exact opposite side of the world. It's up in the mountains. It's, there's nothing there. And, and, uh, but we'd already given her to the Lord. She's already got. And, and, and whether, whether your child's an engineer or a doctor or a janitor or a construction worker or a farmer or whatever he is, 
You give them to God and say, God, they're, they're to be used for your glory wherever you have for them to do. Whatever your unique design for them is, whatever their calling, whatever the, their vocation, whatever that place of unique de- providence you have for them, God, they are yours. They're going to be used for your glory and your honor, and you pray and you give them to God. I want to show you a picture. Just flash that on the screen real quick. We've got, this is awesome. These are all the mothers and fathers who on Friday night dedicated their children to the Lord. And, and, and they followed the example of Hannah. They did exactly what Hannah did. They brought them to the temple to be given back to God. And every one of these moms and dads said, you know what, symbolically, we are giving our children back to God. We are recognizing that they are a heritage of the Lord. They are God's gift to us. We are stewards to raise them as long as they're on the earth and long as they're under our care. But really, ultimately, we're just the stewards. They ultimately all belong to God. And every one of these moms and dads says, you know what, we want to raise our children to follow and serve the Lord. Give it, give it up for all those who had their kids dedicated. Awesome, awesome group. We do that twice a year, and so we'll do it again in the fall, and if you have not done that, we used to just kind of have a little ceremony and bring them all up on the stage and pray a simple prayer, but we felt that wasn't enough. So now on Friday night, we have a whole teaching time. We have a full meal for them. We, we, have a symbol, we pray over every one of those kids, and we, we give them to the Lord and just spend some time with each one of those parents that, that Sunday morning just does not allow you to do that. But we wanted you to see their picture, and we're proud of each and every one of them. Turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Oh, I've got to hurry. I'm getting, getting carried away up here. Psalm 127, verse 3. Look at this. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate. Three things he says about our children, our sons, our daughters. Number one, he says they're an heritage. A heritage. Sons Daughters are a heritage of the Lord. What does that mean? It means they, heritage means it is a property or possession assigned by God. Now what does that tell me? I don't have the right to destroy my son or daughter. They are a heritage of God. They are a blessing of God. I don't have to, a right to destroy what has been assigned by God to me. And if you are ever pregnant, women, don't ever, ever entertain abortion. Son, daughters are a heritage of the Lord. They are assigned to you by God. They are a gift of you from God. You don't destroy what God has given you. Number two, he says they are a reward. They're not a burden, but they are a blessing. I don't care whether you think it's convenient or not, they are a blessing of God, a blessing that God has given you. They are God's reward. But I want to focus on the last thing, the last description he gives for children. He says, number three, they are arrows. Arrows. A soldier will not go into war without his weapons. Arrows and weapons are used in kingdom warfare. Now follow me here. Your children have the potential to be great kingdom warriors. They are arrows. Now, here's what I want you to get. For an arrow to be effective, it must be aimed. The arrow does no good if you just just shoot all over the place. An arrow is meant to be aimed at a target. Children are an arrow. What does that mean? Moms, it's your responsibility to aim them, direct them, 
And it says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way it should go, and when it is old, it will not depart from it. And so we aim them, we train them up in the way they will go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Share the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation. Share his love with them. I will tell you this, you cannot save them, and we tell those parents who dedicated their children, even though you're giving them back to God, this is not saving your son or daughter. They're gonna have to come a time when they make their own decision to follow and serve the Lord. There's no second-generation believers. You're born again of Christ and his spirit, or you're not born again. It's just that simple. But you can't aim them. You can't set the course. You can be a Hannah. You can be a lady of prayer. You can be a lady of worship. You can be a lady who takes him to the house of God. You can be a loving wife. You can model what a good, godly wife and mother looks like. You can do all those kind of things. And you can give them back to God. Say, God, they are yours. Listen to me. Like Hannah, Samuel went on to be a man of prayer. Why was Samuel such a man of prayer? Because he watched his mother pray. Watched his mother pray again and again and again. Santa turned out to be a, Samuel turned out to be a man of faithfulness and worship in the temple of the Lord. Where did he learn that from? Mama. Just a few years. Learned from Mama. Saw Mama doing it. 2 Samuel 2.18. Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. 1 Samuel 2, 26, and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both Lord and men. Remember, it was said of that of Jesus Christ, too, in the New Testament. It grew in favor with stature of men and with God. Later, Samuel would be used by God to unite the entire nation of Israel. Up till then, it's the period of judges, and every man's doing that which is own, uh, right in his own eyes, and the nation of Israel is divided, and they're all in their tribes, and they're all in their homes, and you've got the story of the Danites killing the, uh, the, and, the, and the Benjamites, and all these guys fighting and killing each other, and it's just kind of a civil war. And a prophet comes along. A prophet comes along by the name of Samuel, and he would unite the entire nation of Israel which would be the precursor to the very first king of Israel. And under Samuel's leadership and prayer and guidance, Israel starts to become a very, very powerful nation led by a man who sought the Lord. Mighty, mighty man of God. Why? Because of Hannah. Because she prayed. Because she worshiped. Because she went to the temple. Because she gave him to the Lord. All those things you see in this little snapshot of a wonderful, godly woman. Be that example. Be that model. The highest compliment to any mother is that their kids will one day serve the Lord. Now listen to me. If your children ever wandered away into a far country... You say, Pastor, I did my best to aim them. I did my best to direct them. I tried to get them on the right road, but they've wandered off. They're, they're not serving the Lord today. They're, they're backslidden, and I know they're messing up and all that. Listen, I want to tell you, keep on praying year after year. Keep on believing and give them to God. I don't care where they're at. They may be in a far country right now. They may be in the middle of a pig pen. It may be a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in the depths of sin. Uh, keep on believing. Keep on praying and say, God, I don't know where they're at right now, but I'm going to give them back to you because you can reach them wherever they're at. You can bring new life to their dead souls. Uh, you can bring them back, God, and you, you give them to the Lord all over again. 
Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.